From the mess hall of the Joliet Correctional Facility, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men on a mission from God, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Before I get into why we're having piano music, Corey, tell us who sent that in. That one comes courtesy of Mario, don't call me Mario Lopez, Mendez. Well, thank you, Mario. And Mark, I know you're asking, what's with the piano music at the beginning of the show? Wait, what's with the piano music at the beginning of the show? Uh, that is courtesy of a uh, CD-DVD combo. And, uh, you know, CDs are kind of an endangered species these days. So I'm always thrilled to see that somebody's... Uh, Working it with the uh, the combo, you know, you get a DVD as a bonus thing on a double disc uh, album, and it makes you want to get the album because then you get the DVD as well. And in this case, we are talking about uh, Return to Forever, the Mothership Returns. Return to Forever, of course, they are like a like a jazz rock fusion kind of band, uh, probably most famous because uh, that piano that you heard being played there a second ago. You know who was playing that? You know who's oh, that was a Yanni. You know who's a part of Return to Forever? You're going to be embarrassed when I tell you this. Oh, it's John Williams. Chick Corea. The the country? North or South? (laughs) Thank you. You you didn't expect me to say that, did you? I really did. (laughs) I sure didn't. Uh, That was pretty good. (laughs) Now, the the great, wonderful, amazingly talented Chick Corea and a lot of amazing musicians comprise Return to Forever, and the stuff is really, really cool. This is a double-disc set, along with a bonus DVD uh, that features Return to Forever inside the music. A great one-hour documentary and uh, a bunch of other really cool stuff like The Romantic Warrior, which is a 22-minute performance that is absolutely going to blow your mind. No, it's great. It's cool jazz. It's kind of jazz rock fusion. It's just some great musicians having a great time. And uh, put it on in the background and just enjoy your day. It's, uh, you know, I I wish more, because I miss CDs, I got to tell you. I miss CDs. You know what's funny is that I saw uh, this film Neil Young Journeys the other night. Yeah, and Neil Young is a uh, is really hates MP3s because to him, when you listen to an MP3, especially if you buy it on iTunes, I agree with him. You're you're, you're not getting it at a, at a fraction of the sampling rate it should be listened to. It so, compresses everything. Yeah. So get this in Neil Young Journeys, uh, I think the normal movie theater sampling rate is like forty eight kilohertz or something. Right. And Young wanted this film to be different, so Young had the movie sampled at double that, like 96 kilohertz, or whatever they call it. And so all the songs are, and really only special theaters are, are equipped to show this, but Neil Young wanted it done, so they tried to get it done for him. No kidding. And so the, the Regal did it. And so Regal was showing the film last night, I went to the premiere, at this doubly high, super incredible sampling rate. And I'll tell you something, it was amazing. Really? It was amazing. No you know, at first, the dialogue, you're like, oh, it's just another movie. But then the song starts, and it's like See. being, it's like waves of just, it, it's almost like three-dimensional sound. It's so good. And people were, people were surprised. I mean, when they heard the music kick in, people kind of, people kind of gasped. No kidding. Because the sampling rate just made See? the music that much fuller and richer and not, not even really louder. It just made it way more enveloping. It really was a difference. Well, we, uh, we're going to talk about music this week. We've got a bunch of really cool music titles. We've got, uh, we got a Vox Box. We've got Listener Mail. We've got uh, the giveaway from last week that we're going to announce the winners for. And we have a giveaway for, for this week. 
Wait, who who won who won the giveaway last week? Well, we're gonna we're gonna pick the winners. All right, we're gonna pick it later I, on the show. I wasn't listening to you. So we got and and we're and we're gonna start the show. I'm gonna talk about something that is really really cool. And because we are the Digigods, we talk mostly about DVDs and Blu-rays. We sometimes branch off in a little bit of streaming here and there. But we we have other things in our world, Mark. Justin Bieber's new album. The Digit, no, the Digit applies to. And uh, there is this unbelievably cool initiative that uh, I've got to talk about, and it's called Inside the Script. Have you heard about Inside the Script, Mark? Does it have anything to do with Justin Bieber's new album? Absolutely nothing. Um, no, Inside the Script is uh, a Warner Brothers thing. It's, it, Warner Brothers is doing this, this, uh, this e-book thing with Inside the Script. And what it is, it's the screenplays for some classic movies that are part of their library, which, of course, includes all the classic MGM stuff as well as the classic Warner stuff. And it's available uh, strictly for Kindle or for iBook. And you have to pick. You've got to pick which one you want to go with. Uh, I mean, unless you want to pay for both. It's not like, you know, one download will work on each. They're, they're separate formats. But um, I have looked at both. I've looked at all the iBook stuff. I've looked at the Kindle stuff. Absolutely identical. I would say whatever user interface uh, functionality is different in each is incredible. Wait, so what the hell minor. is this thing? These are interactive <laughs> screenplays. I don't get it. What do you do? Here it is. American in Paris, Ben-Hur, North by Northwest, and Casablanca. That's great. What happens? Okay, here's what happens. These are interactive books. So, for example, uh, I, can, I can go to the, uh, the screenplay for Ben-Hur, and I can look at uh, script scenes, gallery scenes, um, uh, cast and crew information, a timeline on the making of the film. All of this is, like, hyperlinked in here. Uh, and it's great. It's, it's really cool. For example, I go to script scenes. Uh, let's go to gallery scenes, uh, 260. So here, suddenly we get these really cool photographs, um, information on the, uh, the individual scenes. Um, the, the script itself is in original script format. You've got to love that. Uh, it's just it's really, really cool. It's like if you want to read the screenplay for these classic movies along with all of this additional information and interactive information that enables you to sort of learn more about how the movie was made, you don't any longer have to go through these clumsy menus on a DVD or a Blu-ray, which is how a lot of that stuff used to be. If you remember the days, of the original days of DVD, oh, it's got a script on it. Great. So I use my remote control. I'm going to read the script off of the I used TV to hate screen. that. I used the to hate worst. that. It was the worst. And the you worst. know what? It was, it was a cheap way to say there was an extra. Absolutely. Not usable. Totally. But this... Uh, this is, is what great. you're saying is usable. It's totally usable. It's totally cool. For example, one thing I love here on the uh, American in Paris uh, is uh, the, this little thing here called the Manelli Touch, and it's uh, it's just it's a great essay on what makes Vincent Manelli a great director, why his movies are significant, what made his career significant, and uh, you read that, and then you read the screenplay. And then you sort of start to understand what he saw in the screenplay and why it is why he worked with the writers to, you know, introduce certain elements in the screenplay. And then you make the connection from that to the final movie. And it's it's like a great tool in understanding the filmmaking process. And this is unbelievably awesome. I got to say, f- only four titles are out so far, but I highly recommend it. I think it's a great thing. I hope more studios do this. I hope they make all these great screenplays available with all of the supporting information so that we no longer have to fight through menus into extras on DVDs and Blu-rays to get to this stuff. Now you can look at it on your your computer, on your Kindle, on your Nook, on your uh, iPad, whatever it is. It's fantastic. Wade, that is a great story. However, there's something that the listeners want to know even more. And that is? Why is there a bandaid on your face? Um, <laughs> there's a bandaid on Wade's face. Yes. I a had round a, bandaid. I, uh, uh, I had uh, plastic surgery to change my appearance. Uh, I'm going to show up at my own funeral as a guy named Phil Shifley. Uh, no, <laughs> if you haven't, if you've seen that commercial, no, oh, maybe I have. It sounds familiar. It. It's one of the direct TV things, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 y
What? I had a biopsy. What do you mean? A biopsy what on does my that face. Mean? You have a little, you know, I have like you get little growths on your body every once in a while, and they start to look like a, a, a life form under themselves. Yeah, and but biopsy is like a bad thing. Could be uh, a bad thing. Yeah, it's like it's like what a the pre- doctor say? Precancer. What the doctor say? It's a precancer. But they they got it all. Well, we'll see. We, we, you know, it's not going to be a real big deal. It's one of those things that happens, you know. You, you, they take a so soldering. So you saw it. I, it, I touched oh, it. It you, was, it you, was you, painful. You, probably your wife saw it. It was painful. No, you touched oh, it. Oh, it was painful. Oh, yeah. It's like a like an, an, an irritated spot. Really? And so you go and they basically, uh, you know, stick a needle in your face and inject some kind of anesthetic uh, or antiseptic or whatever the hell they call that stuff that freezes you up. And then they uh, cut a piece of your face out and then they solder it closed and then you're as good as gold. Well, first of all, they should nice. they should have cut more of your face out. Because all right, Mark. Uh, it, it needs improvement. Mark, yes. Mark, let's go on. Let's start off on music. That, you got a lot of good music here. You're the you're the music man. I know. I saw the Neil Young film last night. I know. With you, an amazing you, uh, sampling rate. If the, yeah, samples. You you love sampling rates. Uh, Lee Rittenauer is a jazz guitarist, and uh, whoa, he's one of the best. And I'm probably going to drop all of these music uh, DVDs on the floor. No, I'm not. And um, Rittenauer, he's uh, he's, he's kind of he's getting up there. He's like sixty years old, that guy. But um, he is one of the best, and he has a, a Blu-ray called Overtime, and this one was a shot in high def at the Enterprise Studios in Burbank, and he's collaborated. You know, with he's 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 accompanied by a band, so it's not solo stuff, but it really kind of goes through uh, his uh, style. And uh, the way his playing has evolved over the years. I like Rittenauer, I do. I mean, he's, he's old school, you know. And you know, the, there are songs here that you'll recognize, like Papa Was a Rolling Stone and Sugarloaf Express. And, you know, so it's not just all a bunch of, you know, unknown jazzy type songs. And, you know, Dave Grusin appears in it. And uh, He's one of those, you know, I mean, he's one of those jazzy guys who just really, you, we're so accustomed to rock guitar that we forget what you can actually get out of a guitar in other musical styles. That's what I love about Rittenauer. He just makes it, Go to places that uh, most guitarists don't go. Well, where you should go yeah. is to the store to buy a Lever at Narrow Overtime. Ba bam! Oh, yeah. Ba bam! Uh, uh, Wade, um, here's the thing. I know. There's a, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Rack on Tours. Oh, yeah. Is a great band. And I know nothing about them. Huh? I know nothing about them. I, I get that. Because uh, you're uh, lame. No, the Raconteurs uh, is one of Jack White's little uh, side projects. I love Jack White, and I think the guy is great. And the Raconteurs had a great album out, whose name I can't remember, but I loved it. And uh, here's the Raconteurs Live at Montreux 2008 on Blu-ray. Uh, this also includes Brendan Besson. Who, Bre- Brendan Besson is one of their uh, backing guitarists, and he's great, too. Brendan Besson has come out with like three or four solo albums that are really, really cool. One of the songs was featured in... Um, the last uh, Bobcat Goldthwait film, World's Greatest Dad, which is how uh-huh. I kind of discovered Brendan Besson. Anyway, Brendan Besson now plays with Jack White's band, The Raconteurs. These guys are great. Uh, they were touring to support uh, uh, Consolers of the Lonely, their second album. And uh, I love The Raconteurs. Love them. Raconteurs live at Mantra 2008. Blu-ray of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Love Never Dies. You know, this was a really weird Shaggy Dog production uh, uh sequels are all the i mean we're familiar with sequels in the movie world but sequels on broadway in the world of broadway musicals what? very peculiar love never dies is actually the sequel to uh, uh phantom of the opera and uh, as you may guess from the fact that uh, if you're listening to this show you don't recognize the name you're going really there was a sequel there was indeed and it didn't do that well uh th- this is peculiar it takes place like 10 years later and you know where the phantom has moved on to 
Uh, wait, uh, uh, wait, uh, VH1 reality show. Coney Island. What do you mean? Close. He's a, he's like a he's a he's a Coney Island attraction now. Hey. I, I look. I know. What are you talking about? I, I'm dead serious. Was, was 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 that a joke? No, serious. What does that mean? This takes place in Coney Island in 1907. That does that 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 stupid movie? Yes. The, se- the sequel of Phantom. No, it's not a movie. It's it's a it's production. It's Broadway. It's a Broadway stage production. They haven't made it into a movie, and they're not going to because it takes place in 1907 on Coney Island. Do they eat hot dogs? Five cent Nathan hot dogs. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like you go really? I don't really know what possessed him to do this. Uh, perhaps to try something a little bit more American, but nonetheless, it's it's very weird. Um, the music's fine, uh, not horrible, not his best, but certainly not uh, memorable in any way like uh, the stuff in Phantom of the Opera was. Uh, but nonetheless, I guess there were a handful of people that really have uh, taken to this. And if, you know, look, if you are a phantomaholic, by all means, at least rent it just so that you can uh, scratch that itch and not let it bug you anymore. I don't think it's particularly terribly well cast. But uh, look, the thing about this is the the live performance, the live music. And uh, it is really, really, really well recorded. It's incredibly sharp on Blu-ray and uh, it's lossless and it's just uh, it's gorgeous. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's that live music dynamic. Dynamic that always really comes through on Blu-ray in such an amazing way. It really puts you right in the middle of the performance. So I, I can't heartily recommend it as a purchase, but as a rental for somebody who might be, you know, uh, curious, by all means. Wade, uh, for some reason, Simply Red was a big band in the mm. uh, 80s. They were um, led by this guy, Mick Hucknall, who was famous for having his big red hair, hence the name Simply Red. Yeah. And uh, they were big in the 80s, but uh, they kind of stuck around, although most of the band left, and Hucknall was the only one left. I have a question relative yeah. to Jack White. Yeah. Why, why does Jack White have black hair if this guy was Simply Red and he had red hair? Um, so Simply Red Live at Montreux, uh, it's a Blu-ray. Looks good. It's a bunch of stuff from 2003 and then some stuff from 2010 when they came back to Montreux. And you got all the simply... Notice how I just ignored that yeah. comment? Mm-hmm. Okay, making sure. <laughs> uh, Blu-ray uh, includes songs like uh, Money's Too Tight to Mention. Money's Too Tight to Mention, Holding Back the Years. Those are their two big hits. Uh, much bigger uh, in the UK than they were here. These guys, they had their moment. Now they're gone. I had no interest. Um, also, the surprisingly bad um, It's All About You. It's All About You is a documentary about John Mellencamp. And I like John Mellencamp. Uh, you know, he's kind of slipped out of the public consciousness a little bit, but I, I, I think his stuff holds up. I, I think if we kind of reappreciated him, I think we would totally dig it. Uh, it's About You is a documentary that was directed by a father-son team of Ian Marcus and Kurt Marcus. And uh, they follow Mellencamp around in uh, 2009 as he goes on a, on a concert tour in the summer. And, uh, you know, they get amazing access to Mellencamp, and you can't beat that. The thing is that these guys are not great filmmakers. It's kind of amateurish. It was shot on Grainy Super 8, which is which was done for stylistic purposes, but really just seems kind of lame. Um, and they kind of really miss some of the key parts of Mellencamp's personality. Uh, so really, this is not a great documentary. But you know what? If you love him, Mellencamp, and I don't blame you if you do, then go for it. It's all about you. It's on Blu-ray. Well Go USA, who usually does a lot of uh, import Asian film stuff, big you know Korean films and uh, Chinese films, they uh, they have a really interesting change of pace here with uh, hit, hit So Hard, which is a rockumentary about um, Patty Schemmel. And if you haven't heard of Patty Schemmel, well, Patty Schemmel was the drummer for Hole, which was Courtney Love's band around the same time that Courtney Love was doing Hole and Kurt Cobain. I loved Hole. Hole was a great band. And by the way, Hit So Hard is, is the name of one of their songs. Yeah. 
And uh, this is basically all, it, it's sort of that era through her eyes and through her experience. And it's, uh, it's not unique as a rockumentary goes. It sort of goes in all those same places, you know, the, the completely unhinged lifestyle and the great music and the crowds and the fame and we can't handle the fame and the drugs and the abuse and the craziness and grunge and, uh, you know, all of this stuff. Um, now, keep in mind, Patty Schemmel is, is gay and openly gay, so that changes it a little bit. But, uh, you know, otherwise all of the, uh, the same kind of rock uh, cautionary tales are still here. And uh, some featurettes and stuff and audio commentary that she does with the director, uh, P. David Ebersole. Uh, it's good. It's decent. It was at a bunch of festivals, including uh, Outfest and South by Southwest. And it's a terrific-looking Blu-ray. Uh, very, very nicely put together. Really sharp. Music, great. Again, you know, all that, uh, that the lossless audio really serves this film extremely well. Beautiful DTS HD. But, uh, again, yeah, not for everybody. It's only if you're a rock, rockumentary addict, if you uh, just cannot get by in life without seeing every single movie about every uh, decadent, depraved rock star that almost hit rock bottom, uh, well, then, then this is definitely for you. Wade, uh, Chicago, the band, has been around so long, I don't even know who's original and who's not. You see them on stage, they look too young to be original, but then the old guys <laughs> have probably had a lot of work done, so you really can't tell. But um, the Blu-ray of Chicago in Chicago, uh, you know, it's fine. I mean, they're still a great they're still a great band, even if they're just a bunch of touring session guys. Um, Chicago, if you don't know, they were a great, really fun, brassy band in like the 70s before they all went all Peter Cetera and lame on us. Um, songs include most of their classics. Uh, You're the Inspiration, Saturday in the Park, 25 or 6 to 4. And uh, also they are uh, joined At the by... No, they are At joined the by the Doobie Brothers. Oh. Another... Burnout band that I really loved when I was a kid, but I was hoping for another Coney Island freak show. I think they're lame. Doobie Brothers are lame. Actually, some of these Chicago songs are kind of cool because they're really trippy. Chicago songs, the good ones, Mm -hmm. are really kind of psychedelic and trippy, but not in a bad way. It reminds me of um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Sweet. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah. You don't know Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I know Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Of course I do. Name one Blood, Sweat, and Tears song, go. Uh, 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 Spinning Wheels. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Three Dog Night. Name one. Name a song. Three Dog Night. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Thank you. What is a good Three Dog Night song? Uh, I just heard one the other day, and I totally forgot. Mama told me not to come. Mama there you told go. Me That's it. Exactly. Uh, we're going to hit some docs here. I'm going to blow through this little pile of docs real quickly. They're all all really worth checking out, and uh, nothing I'm going to spend too much time on. But Mary Pickford, The Muse of the Movies, is uh, really terrific. If you don't understand why Mary Pickford was essential to the birth of the movies, you're definitely going to want to check this out. This is all about her remarkable life and career. And uh, it's, you know, it's feature length, 101 minutes. It goes into all the great detail, terrific clips. And uh, the woman changed everything. It changed the role of women in movies, changed uh, what movies were. Absolutely terrific. Uh, Titanic's Final Mystery is a Smithsonian Channel uh, doc that came out uh, all to kind of coincide with the uh, anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, the 100th anniversary. This is on Blu-ray, and uh, it's a little bit sensationalistic as it tries to sort of introduce... What's that a picture of? Why are you showing me a picture? Because I don't care about Titanic's Final Mystery. I'm showing Wade a picture of Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin assaulting a photographer today. I know. Look at oh, that. that's nice. Good picture, right? That is a great picture. It's on the cover of the New York Daily News. Because if I'm judging just from the, that, the freeze frame and, and the shape that his mouth is in, right. he's about to say something he, that starts with F. And, and, and ends in K. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, he was, uh, he, he's lost a lot of weight. And have you seen him? He looks I really have. good. He looks as good as he's looked in 25 years. And I think the reason that is is because his fiance, I, I saw her in some video or something. Needs for him to not be fat. Smoking. 
Yeah. Uh, not only is she unbelievably gorgeous, yeah. but she's a yoga instructor. Oh, there you go. She's got him doing yoga. I know. That's it. Oh my god, oh my god, this is even better. No, let's see it. <laughs> my god, he looks like he, he looks like he's about to kill him. Sorry, <laughs> sorry folks, but look I mean look look, look check the look now on everyone's Paul's gonna face. go and Google this. Oh my gosh, he's homicidal. <laughs> and then that, that he hasn't even laid a hand on him. That photographer looks like a like he's being attacked by like Sasquatch. Holy cow. I mean, how angry. That is so menacing. You know what? My gosh. Yeah, but those photographs are douchebags. Of course they are. I, I've, I've had my life threatened by those guys. Did I ever tell you that? Why? Because you're super famous? No, because we were at, uh, at Fred Siegel in Santa Monica for the sale some years ago, and Kate Beckinsale and her husband, that uh, idiot director, L- L- Len, Wiseman. Len Wiseman, they were there, and they came out, and suddenly there were, like from nowhere, paparazzi everywhere, just running up to within 10 inches of them, just snapping photographs, snapping photographs, and as soon as they got into their car, paparazzi all raced back to their cars, and suddenly there's like five vehicles just burning out in the middle of, uh, of Fifth Street in Santa Monica, just spinning around. People are having to break. It's, it's reckless. No regard for public safety. It's unbelievable. These guys are a menace. They really are. They're horrible. Really. Douchebag central. So anyway, Titanic's final mystery. Uh, the truth about her demise is finally beginning to surface. So a little bit, a little bit on the uh, TMZ side there, but whatever. It's all right. Uh, Joan Miro, The Ladder of Escape. This is from the National Gallery of Art. And uh, uh, Joan Miro, or, or Yon Miro, and, or however you want to pronounce it, Hoan Miro. Um, how do you pronounce it, Mark? I'm reading the story. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Joan. It's a guy, but you know, I, can't, I can't pronounce it the Spanish way. Um, anyway, this is, uh, it, it's, you know, I'm un- I will readily confess prior to getting this, I had no idea this guy even existed. I was totally unfamiliar with his, uh, his work, but, uh, as far as surrealism goes, as far as, uh, that whole Spanish school of, uh, weird kind of freaky abstraction goes, uh, it's pretty cool. I, uh, I don't know that I could look at it all day, but, uh, this is a, a, a nice release from, uh, Micro Cinema that, uh, you may want to check out. Uh, much more my speed is In Conversation, Kentridge and Dumas. This is a uh, Goodman Gallery thing, also from uh, Microcinema. And uh, contemporary artists, William Kentridge and Marlene Dumas, are uh, really, really cool. What is interesting to me about them is that they're from South Africa, and their work is, even though it's a little bit on the abstract modern side, uh, it's totally unusual within its particular class. So uh, this is really a, a nice introduction to a couple of artists who have a totally unique perspective on the world, totally different cultural perspective on the world, and uh, highly recommend it. Harry Belafonte, sing your song. Uh, you know, Harry Belafonte has kind of uh, become a bit of a blowhard lately because he doesn't sing anymore and he doesn't act anymore. He just kind of uh, spouts off about politics, which makes a lot of people think that he's just this cranky old Caribbean dude, but he's not. A uh, much more significant figure than anybody uh, probably realizes today. A great actor, a great singer, deeply involved in the uh, civil rights movement. And uh, this goes into all of it. And it's the first documentary that really compiles the totality of his life. And you realize he's a much more complex figure than uh, anybody gives him a right to be. Now, this is my pick of the week, Wade. Well, this is Mark's pick of the week. And this, is, this just goes to show you that you can be a documentary and be a fantasy film at the same time. Uh, they are not mutually exclusive. This is called Dreams from my real father. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's a play on the uh, Obama biography. And this is a, a documentary uh, by a guy named Joel Gilbert. It's a story of Reds and Deception, the true origins of Obama's life in politics, question mark. Uh, 
This actually is a hysterically uh, silly documentary that is presumably based on two years of research. Uh, that, pres- that, that, that here's the premise: that Obama is not really uh, the son of the man who presumably fathered him, but that his real father is a guy named Frank Marshall Davis, who was uh, some kind of Communist Party bigwig back in the day. Anyway, uh, you know what? I don't know how far and wide you have to go beyond the birther argument to actually concoct this story, but just from like a a fantasy standpoint, I think this thing is hysterical. But how much did this cost to make versus how many, how many wing nuts would actually buy this? So you got to figure, I'm sure they've done the, done the math. You know, if, we, know. If, if this thing costs $100,000 to make... They probably figure, they probably looked at all the birther websites and did a calculation of how many people there are who subscribe to the whole birther uh, thing and uh, figured they're all going to buy this. Yeah. Why not? Again, it's cost-benefit. You're not going to spend $50 million on the documentary, but you know that you've got sure. X numbers of thousands of wing nuts who I buy like, it. I like, <laughs> I like how next to dreams from my real father, mm. the word real is in red and has a little hammer and sickle up in the corner. That's right. <laughs> It's a true story. Oh, my gosh. Carol Channing, Larger Than Life, is a wonderful, wonderful documentary about an amazing talent. Carol Channing, uh, just one of the great performers in the history of uh, the Broadway stage and even Hollywood, but really just a a Broadway superstar. And so many people here who uh, pay tribute to her. I mean, Lily Tomlin, uh, Debbie Reynolds, Cheetah Rivera, Phyllis Diller, Lonnie Anderson – on and on and on and on. It's just it's it's endless. And uh, Carol Channing, so wonderful. Gosh, just go out and get it. She's she'll make you happy. I won't even attempt to do a Carol Channing impression because Mark would shoot Thank me. Thank you. Speaking of which, uh, did, did we name the winner of the uh, giveaway? No, we're going to do that in a moment. And we have another giveaway. We got another giveaway. And we have a Vox box. Yes, we do. Are you, you going to move this thing along? I'm moving along. Uh, finishing up the documentaries, uh, Ken Burns' The War, which is on Blu-ray. This is uh, all about World War II. It is great. It is, uh, I won't say it's the definitive World War II documentary, but it is so gorgeous on Blu-ray. It's so well put together. It's got all of that Ken Burns professionalism behind it, and it lasts absolutely forever, but it is first rate. You've got to get it. Great one from PBS. And finally, Something's Gonna Live. This is conversations with six unbelievably great uh, cinema artists on Hollywood classics. And uh, you will learn all about storyboarding and art directing and uh, conceptual artwork and all that stuff that happened in the era before computers ruined everything. And I'm not kidding you, really. I mean, uh, this is unbelievable. You'll learn all about the following films and how they were conceptually put together before the movies were actually filmed. Uh, The Birds, North by Northwest, To Kill a Mockingbird, Ten Commandments, Vertigo, War of the Worlds, In Cold Blood, and a whole ton of others. Now, they, they, they have a bunch of Hitchcock there, but do they have Psycho? Uh, no. You know who, you know who, who did the storyboards for the uh, shower scene in Psycho? Saul Bass. Yes, yeah, Saul Bass. But uh, no, this is, uh, Saul Bass is a bit of a weird freak jerk. Saul, Saul, Saul Bass, you know, Saul Bass told people that he directed the shower I know. scene. I know, he did. And he, well, I mean, why crazy. would he do that? I mean, did he think he'd get away with that? What, all this, this is really just a beautiful, beautiful documentary and a, a great kind of lesson on uh, one particular aspect of filmmaking, but it's a very important aspect. And uh, you just uh, cannot, I cannot praise it highly enough. It's, uh, it belongs in anybody's library of documentaries about the filmmaking process and film history. Something's going to live. You've got to get it. All right, right, Mark. Yes, let's yes. let's do something that uh, people care about. Do we have any movies? Do we have a giveaway, a box box, we're anything? Gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna wake let... me up. Wake, I'm, I'm falling asleep here. Wake me up. All right, so we have our winners. And uh, our winners of the giveaway last week for Louie, the Blu-ray of uh, the, the, the Louis C.K. show. Yes. 
Uh, Jorge Uribe. Uh, Shyler Dunn or Skyler Dunn. Not sure how we, hopefully we're not mutilating the name. And uh, Eric Alwarder. So uh, congratulations. We're going to go ahead and uh, send your names on to the uh, the publicist to get you uh, copies. By all means, I'm going to email you separately. So please reply to the emails with your uh, mailing address. And uh, we'll get all that information uh, taken care of. Look at that. that. Yeah. Wait, can I tell you what I did uh, Saturday night? Well, may we, may we do the other giveaway first? Um, I, I did this by myself. Okay, fine. Tell me what you did. I was at the uh, L.A. Film Festival, and they had an outdoor screening, Wade. It wasn't just any outdoor screening. It was an outdoor screening of Star Trek II. Oh, yeah. At the L.A. Film Festival Saturday night, a revival screening of Star Trek II with guest appearance, Leonard Nimoy. No kidding. Oh, yeah. He showed up. Yes, he did. Oh, so by the way, he's he, got nothing else going on. Exactly. So he, he showed up, and I was talking to one of the guys um, working the, the event, and he was saying how, uh, you know, Nimoy obviously had, had a handler from the festival to, you know, escort him around and get him into his car, make sure he got on stage all right and got off stage all right. And this guy was saying how the handler told him that all Nimoy wanted to talk about was Prometheus. And how Nimoy didn't like Prometheus, and he wanted to know what the, uh, what, what the handler thought of Prometheus. Really? That was, that was foremost on Nimoy's mind as he was walking from the car to the stage. Just letting you know that. All right. And then he came on. He, uh, he, you know, he spun like the same five uh, Star Trek stories he always spins. You know, and then he left. But then after that, okay. but you know what happened after that? They screened Star Trek too. Really? Yes, they did. Uh-huh. All-time favorite. Just saying. All right. Don't be jealous. Very cool. Jealousy is a very jealous word. Yes, it is. All right. All right. And, Mark, we have another giveaway. And this is a terrific giveaway. we got a great set. Five people are going to win a, um, a package, a giveaway package of the following musicals. Evita, Newsies, and a double of Sister Act 1 and 2. How about that? Evita, Newsies, Sister Act 1 and 2. All of them on Blu-ray. Five people are going to get a three Blu-ray package. I like it, uh, Newsies. Okay. So if you, if you want to be in the running for this, go ahead and email us at godsatdigigods.com and put musicals in the, uh, the subject, musicals. And uh, we need to get those uh, time-stamped no later than uh, this Friday, which would be the 22nd. So uh, Friday the 22nd, uh, as long as your email is timestamped Friday the 22nd, you're good. Good as gold. And uh, we will uh, pick those next week and uh, make some people very, very happy. Now, here's the thing. Do you want people to include their address in the email so you don't have to then chase after them if they win? Because uh, you know, what, what happens if the three guys who won today, they don't, uh, if, they don't if, know. If, 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 but, but you should. You should include your address. But I know a lot of people don't necessarily want to include their address unless they win. So you're not obligated to, but it, it always helps us. So with that, uh, Mark, let's go into movies. We got uh, and we got listener mail and Voxbox at the end of the show. But let's uh, let's jump right into some uh, some movie stuff. Well, actually, first let's talk about uh, Louis. No, Louis, seriously, Louis. Because the the thing that they're going to win, we we have it here. The complete second season of Louis, the uh, Louis C.K. show, and season three, of course, uh, begins in like a matter of days on the twenty eighth. Um, real quickly, this is on Blu-ray. It, the thing about Blu-ray on this show is it really kind of shows the flaws a little bit that you don't see necessarily in broadcast. Because it's uh, you know it's shot with a digital camera, but um, it's not the best photography in the world. Although I have to say, 
Forget about it. You're, you, the Blu-ray lets you stare deep into uh, Louis C.K.'s bloodshot eyes and uh, thoroughly enjoy his acerbic, cynical way of looking at the world. I like this show. I really do. And I love the fact that it's completely him and that he's not just shilling for somebody else's sense of humor with a writing staff completely uh, trying to shape and mold some kind of an image for him that isn't him, uh, which is what happened, that happened to him previously. And uh, Well, he, he, he was pretty vocal about saying that he will take a lot less money yes. if you just let me do what I want. And he does it here. And you know what? That singularity of vision makes this show totally enjoyable and totally raw and thoroughly. Uh, it's just one of the most unique and original shows on TV. Singularity of vision tends to make most art better. It's really hard to say. You know, you know what made this movie better? Collaborating with the suits. They made it better. That doesn't happen. No. But Louis was, uh, I was reading an article, Louis had said that he was offered a lot of money, but when you take that money, you're also taking all the suits and all the corporate middle managers who all think they're hilarious and want their hand on the show, and they're all terrible and unfunny. So he took a lot less money, but he was promised complete and total control. And by the way, I think we said this last week, uh, the show is now being edited by Susan Morris. Totally cool. Who uh, edited, edited, edited a bunch of Woody Allen films. Yeah, I have to see his new film. I missed the screening last night. I thought you saw it. No, didn't see it. Couldn't get to it. You, you wait, wait, wait. You emailed me like a couple days ago, and you, you know, quoted some funny it, line it, or something. It, I thought you had seen it. No, no, I just I couldn't get to it. <laughs> okay, did you just like take a take a, 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 a I was line of dialogue it. from the trailer? And I was just... going to see it, but uh, you know, I couldn't get to it. All right, talk about uh, talk about Mark. Talk about why it is that David Cross keeps showing up. Why a guy that talented keeps showing up in bad movies? You know, uh, it was funny, actually. I, uh, ran, I At the LA Film Festival, I ran into these two guys. I met these two guys. They directed a film called It's a Disaster, which I have not seen. But It's a Disaster uh, features David Cross. And from what the filmmakers told me, David Cross had just gotten out of um, the, uh, the Chipmunk. Was it the Chipmunk movie he's in? Yeah, he's in all the Chipmunk movies. He, he plays the record guy. And he had such an unbelievably miserable time doing the Chipmunk movies that this was the first offer that this, this not the film he about. He spends the, the last one that came out last year, he spends the whole film in like a chicken suit. Yes. Come on. How is that ever going to be a pleasant experience? It, it, it's the worst. Oh. So not this film Demoted, which we'll talk about in a second, but this film, it's a disaster that these two guys directed who I met the other day. Uh, they said that their film was the first one he di- he accepted after the horrible experience of the Chipmunk movies. And he said Cross did nothing but complain on set about how horrible the Chipmunk Chipmunk movie was. I and he was it. so happy to be doing a no-budget film called It's a Disaster just because it was by two dudes who were having fun and it was just going to be a good time. Uh, now, on the uh, I've not seen It's a Disaster, but I can tell you that uh, Demoted actually is a disaster, ba-bam. Uh, it's not a bad cast. Uh, Michael Vartan and Sean Astin and, of course, uh, David Cross. Um, they. Um, it's kind of like that uh, Horrible Bosses movie. It's a little bit in the same vein, except the only horrible boss here is David Cross. And I just, I just don't, I don't get it. Well, what happens is that Vartan and Austin, uh, Sean Astin, they play these tire salesmen, and when their boss dies, uh, their colleague David Cross gets promoted, sort of above them. So now there's this dweeby jerk of a guy is suddenly their bosses. It's all, and, uh, it's all, it's all part. It's all part of like this attempt to take the Office on television and Office Space from the movies, and somehow continue to explore that world. In ways that that no one really needs for it to be explored. Yeah, this is a, this has straight to video all over it. It's, it's not great. David Cross is so talented. I mean, the thing He's with, so funny. He needs to just. 
I mean, I I would, you know, I would love to see David Cross in a film with other comedic actors like him. Like, you know, it was David Cross, Zach Galifianakis, you know, all oh these gosh. all these cool little indie sort of like underground be, comedy guys. That'd be a great movie. That'd be a great movie. We'd go make that movie. I will. Anyway, it's on Blu-ray as well as DVD. If that man, you know, matters to you. Uh, you know, the FP, Mark, the FP, you know about the FP, right? Oh, it's an, loud, furious, an and ancient, an ancient, funny. An ancient game becomes a deadly sport. Uh, this is released from uh, Drafthouse Films, and Drafthouse, of course, is the uh, new company from Tim League, which is kind of emerges out of the, draft house, the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in uh, Austin, Texas, which uh, has reinvented and reinvigorated and redefined the uh, art house experience. It's almost like going to some kind of an elite cafe and watching a movie. Anyway, he's now uh, releasing films, and uh, this is one of those films that he has acquired and released. And their Blu-rays, I'm going to say first off, I like the fact that they're, go- they're going with like clear plastic Blu-ray uh, keep cases. Same form factor, same everything, except it's not blue, it's clear, which I like. It sets them apart. It's very distinguished. We're going to talk next week about their release of Bullhead, the Oscar-nominated uh, foreign language film, that uh, is also in this very, very cool packaging. Anyway, uh, FP is kind of this weird futuristic... Uh, rock movie that it doesn't totally work for me but it's least interesting and it uh, it's about gangs that are trying to take over this area known as Fraser Park which is the FP that's what FP stands for uh it uh, you know it feels a little bit like i don't know uh the warriors meets escape from new york meets uh, some variation of the brother from another planet uh, anyway, it's, you know, it's okay. It's in that vein. If it works for you, if that sounds kind of cool, if you like low-budget, dystopian, futuristic, uh, you know, cyberpunk, uh, neopunk head stuff, it's probably for you. But uh, not entirely for me, but I'm not going to discount it because I know I'm not exactly the audience for that thing. Wade, why am I the audience for Newlyweds? Because I've never been married. Because you love Ed Burns. I don't love Ed Burns. In fact, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know what? He's really gone way back into the... You know, direct-to-video indie Tribeca thing from whence he sprung. Ed Burns has not made a good film in a while, although when when he had his moment, I think his moment um, actually was a little better than people give it credit for, because after all, it was a moment. But then he kind of went on this rather quick decline. But he keeps making movies, and here we have uh, Newlyweds. And uh, in this movie, Edward Burns and uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald, who is a, a, is an adorable blonde uh, woman, uh, you know, newly married couple. And uh, what happens is that Edward Burns' half-sister shows up and crazy stuff happens. You know, this is Ed Burns doing what he always does. I guess he was inspired by some true life stuff that happened to uh, him and people he knows. Uh, but still, uh, it's obviously very talky and it's shot on the street. So, you know, it looks very sort of, you know, real and authentic, which I kind of like. But ultimately, I'm not really a fan of um, Burns. I feel that a lot of his uh, a lot of his sentiments are kind of trite. I, I feel he's trying to be insightful, but little does he realize he's being trite. Although there are a couple funny lines, he, his humor doesn't have the snap that it did in the earlier uh, years. So I'd pass on Newlyweds. It's uh, out from, um, it was a Tribeca movie. And, uh, you know, it's got a bunch of decent uh, extras on, including deleted scenes. But otherwise, it's uh, not great. Yes? I was going to say, the, the film that you're holding in your hand right now, we should point out, is a remake that never should have happened. It's a remake of a French film that uh, was great by Patrice Leconte. And I don't approve. I have not seen that film, but I don't approve that it was remade. Well, wait. Here's the thing. 
um, I, I maintain, and I will always maintain, that any film can be remade. Anyone. Ever. Doesn't matter. You can remake Star Wars. Yeah, you can. I, I love the You can remake the, original. the Godfather. Sure, I But get I'm it. just saying that you just got to do it just right. Just beware. There is, to me, there is nothing that is sacred. They can remake Star Trek. In fact, they did. Um, anyway, this is, a, as Wade says, this is a, a, a completely a, a serviceable remake of the uh, Lacan film, which I think was from 2002. Um, Man on the Train. Man on the Train. Yeah. This, here's the weirdest part about Man on the Train. Man on the Train stars Donald Sutherland, love Donald Sutherland, who doesn't love Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. and Larry Mullen Jr. Now, mm-hmm. for those who don't know who Larry Mullen Jr. is, Larry Mullen Jr. is the drummer for U2. Really? Yes. Okay. This is, La- I, it is just absolutely, first of all, because U2, it's not like they do the talk show circuit in America all the time. It's not, it's not like they're overexposed visually. You see them in a music video. You hear their music. Mm-hmm. But you don't see them 50 feet high in a, in a movie. You know, uh, maybe Rattle and Hum or whatever. But this is like Larry Mullen Jr. being an actor. It That's is just weird. bizarre. Because he's, he's stepping into the Johnny Halliday part, which is weird because the movie is all about a, a hitman and a, and, a, and, a, and a teacher who just meet by happenstance. And this this fascinating confluence of uh, personalities and uh, life dilemmas and it's a real it's a real psychological character piece why would you cast a drummer i don't know but you know but the thing is the thing the thing is that the the character he plays is kind of a taciturn kind of a guy you know he's not it's it, it, it's the type of role that a guy like Larry Mullen can pull off because he's not a trained actor. Yeah. Because the character is not this effusive guy with, with with pages and pages of dialogue. But the question becomes why? How did he even That's hook up strange. with these producers? That's weird. You know who we need for this part? The drummer for you two. Weird. That's who we need. Anyway, there you go. But you know what? I have to say, Donald Sutherland, great in it. It's pretty rare that Sutherland gets really meaty roles anymore. And here he's got one, and he's great in it. Uh, Project X is the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. I never thought that anything would trump Natural Born Killers, but it did. Uh, Project X is just an absolutely egregious sewage pot of a movie. It, this is just horrible, and I can't say enough horrible things about it. This is the uh, extended cut, which, uh, oh, to the break of dawn, yo. Oh, my gosh. This represents the worst in American cinema. The whole the whole losing your virginity thing taken to the umpteenth degree. Uh, you know, a, a real douchebag idiot of a kid persuades his, his douchebag idiot nerd friend to uh, throw a house party when his parents are out of town. And, of course, everything gets completely out of control. And, you know, texts and tweets and everything else go... Uh, rampant, and next thing you know, it's just this this manic, debauched uh, neighborhood wrecking party, and thousands of people in the house, and it, it, everything just goes to hell. Why do I want to see this? Why is this even made? This is just uh, gratifying the worst tendencies of, uh, of a wasted, worthless generation, and I found this film to be nothing but hell. It is out on a combo pack, Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet. Don't waste a single penny of your money. It's not. There's nothing redeeming on here. You know why you hate that movie? Because you're jealous you didn't live that movie when you were that age. You know what I'm jealous I didn't live? I'm jealous I didn't live uh, Blade Runner. That's what I'm jealous of. <laughs> I, wanted, uh, I wanted the spinners. I wanted to know some replicants. Well, you know what? They're making a sequel. Yeah, not so good. And maybe it'll be just as good as Prometheus, which, by the way, we didn't hate. I'm just saying. Not that we hated Prometheus. No, it's but not good. Not, uh, not necessary. A bit of a disappointment. Uh, 
speaking of a disappointment, um, Seeking Justice is one of those films that probably didn't think it was going straight to video, but in the end, it went straight to video. And there's a reason for that, Way The reason for that is Nicolas Cage. Nicolas. He has the, he has the kiss of... Oh, See, this is what happens when I drink water on the show. He is the kiss of death, isn't he? Um, yes. Now, this, what I... I didn't hate this film, actually. You know why? It was directed by Roger Donaldson. Now, Roger Donaldson is a real director. He had some great films, including No Way Out in the 80s. He's done a couple of good films since then. He is a real director. Um, the movie co-stars uh, Guy Pierce and uh, January Jones. The thing with January Jones is that you realize the reason why she calls herself January is because otherwise she'd be Jan Jones. And Jan Jones sounds too plain. Otherwise, uh, you know, but you become January Jones. Oh, that's exotic and sexy. I actually know a Jan Jones, believe no, it or not. No, you don't. I do. There's probably a million of them, yeah, which is sure. why she probably decided to become January Jones. Anyway, this is kind of a death wish thing where Nicholas Cage, uh, he's a mar- uh, happily married guy, and his, his wife uh, gets attacked. And so uh, Cage is approached by this guy, played by Guy Pierce, who wants to maybe, uh, you know, exact some revenge in exchange for a favor from Nicolas Cage in the near future, and it all gets very twisty. Um, you know, Cage is always intense, and P- Pierce kind of keeps up with him. I just found this thing not not very uh, innovative uh, and not very exciting. Donaldson has done a lot better than uh, Seeking Justice. i got a couple of films here that I am actually uh, connected to because I know the people involved. So uh, with that disclaimer, I am going to highly recommend Thin Ice, which I think is absolutely a whole ton of fun. Uh, the Sprecher sisters did this. That's Jill and Karen Sprecher. They uh, wrote it together, and uh, Jill always directs their films. If you haven't seen any of this stuff before, it includes Clock Watchers, which was a big Sundance thing, Lisa Kudrow, and uh, you remember that from a few years ago? A lot of yeah, years ago. Yeah, people love that movie. It's a terrific film. And then they also did um, 13 Conversations About One Thing, which can, includes what may be the best performance ever on screen by Matthew McConaughey. Uh, this film is basically like Fargo. It is uh, it is a cool, noirish. Uh, nor kind of uh, heartland snow set caper con film with an amazing central performance by Mark's good friend Greg Kinnear, who plays an insurance salesman that is on. He's he's desperate and he's falling on really hard times, and he needs to make his life work out right. And it goes way way worse. Uh, I won't tell you all the details about what transpires, but it's really cool. No great, way, tell us all the details. Great twists and turns. I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, check out this sporting cast: Greg Kinnear, Alan Arkin, Billy Crudup. But bam, it's great. They're all great, and Billy Crudup is hysterically menacing in this film. He will scare you to death while you're laughing. He's great. He's absolutely terrific. So uh, I highly recommend this. This is you're going to have so much fun. You'll not see any any of the twists and turns coming. Uh, Alan Arkin is just so eccentrically hilarious as he always is. It's really well written, really smartly directed, and you get both the theatrical version and the director's cut. Uh, not a whole lot of difference between them, and some behind the scenes featurettes, including the uh, premiere at Sundance. So really highly recommended there. And then a little independent film called The Jerk Theory, which is uh, you know it's kind of a, a high school 
story about a guy who uh, thinks that uh, you know being a nice guy isn't getting him any girls, so he learns to be a jerk because the bad boys get all the girls until the girl of his dreams turns out to be somebody who's done with jerks. It is, uh, it's actually a very smartly put together little independent film, which I, uh, I remember when this thing was being pushed around and developed because I actually know one of the producers, and I remember reading the script way back when in, a, in an earlier incarnation, and I am uh, so thrilled that they actually uh, got it done. So well done, guys, over at Polar Star. Bravo to them. And uh, it's worth checking out. It's a cute little movie, The Jerk Theory, with a, uh, a fun supporting performance by Tom Arnold, of all people, believe it or not. Uh, wait, there's a movie that uh, actually wasn't so bad. It really had crap written all over it. It's called A Bag of Hammers. And A Bag of Hammers is about these uh, these two guys, um, Alan Sandvig, who also co-wrote it, and Jason Ritter, uh, John, uh, the late John Ritter's son. And uh, they play these scam artists, and uh, you know they like steal cars at funerals by pretending they're valets, that kind of stuff. So these two losers. I, I, I don't. That makes that scares me when I always hear that stuff. It reminds me of the valets in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's not going to happen anyway. Yeah, don't worry about that. Okay. No, nobody wants your car. Uh, your piece of junk. Um, so what happens is that the two of them wind up hooking up with. A waitress played by Rebecca Hall, Wade. Rebecca Hall's in this movie. That's just not... I don't know how they got Rebecca Hall to be in this movie. I do love Rebecca Hall. I know. But she's in the movie. And anyway, so uh, it comes around to this very sort of twee Wes Anderson place where the two of them have to care for and neglected uh, this 12-year-old son. And so these two losers who are scam artists wind up having to uh, you know, grow some adult responsibility cojones. And, of course, they do because this movie tonally goes all over the place. It is uh, – it starts out like a crazy comedy where there are, you know, two crazy con artists. And then eventually it becomes, you know, you're supposed to cry and it's very uh, charming or whatever. So – but the thing is that they actually kind of went there, which I kind of appreciated as yeah. opposed to being just like totally porkies. But ultimately it's a, it's a, it's a tonal shift that the movie can't really support. So – but director Brian uh, Crano – um, that sounds like some kind of a superhero villain. Brian Crano. Crano. Exactly. I'd be curious to see what he does next with like a little bit of money. Like a big head. Crano. Uh, Footprints is a curious little independent film. I'm kind of losing my taste for a lot of these things, I have to be honest. Um, this is a first-time film from Stephen Peros, who... Uh, uh, wrote The Cat's Meow, which we also have a connection to. That's a long story I won't get into now. But uh, this is kind of a one of those, it, it means to be one of those inside Hollywood uh, dream tales. And um, this actress, Sybil Chemchin, Temchin, Temchine, whatever, can't, I can't pronounce her name. Anyway, uh, it's all about her kind of uh, dreamy travails on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, the, you know, the stars and all the, the great famous names that nobody recognizes anymore because you look at it and you go, I don't know who that person is. I mean, truly, Mark, tell me, 90% of the people on the Walk of Fame aren't famous anymore. That is true. It's just but weird. But how many people... How many people yeah. Are, have been famous since the, the birth of movies. Anyway, this is, this is like, who knows? Do we anyway, have a box box, by the way? We do. We're going to get to it in a second. Anyway, this is like a low-budget version of uh, Jimmy Hollywood, that very misguided Barry uh, Levinson film from many, many years ago with uh, Joe Pesci in it. And I, I, I can't heartily recommend it, but the thing I can recommend is the American Cinematheque Q&A with the uh, cast and director by FX Feeney, our good friend FX Feeney. FX is always a good moderator. We love FX Feeney. Yes, we do. 
And uh, then lastly, before we get around to some uh, older movies in our Vox Box, is uh, Tyler Perry's Good Deeds. You know, I like Tyler Perry a lot. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo. I, I respect uh, him. Don't like his movies. I respect him. I, I you know, but the, I, he's, he's getting to be a better director. Uh, he's always been an interesting writer, but he, he's so all over the map that, uh, you know, when he's not in drag, he tends to be more of a serious filmmaker. And uh, here he's... You know, it's it's kind of a conventional romance, romantic comedy film. It's it's okay. It's fine. Nothing nothing terrible. Nothing spectacular. Uh, he's just uh, he's he just gets. Uh, you know, it's all he he's the guy. He's the the big businessman guy, and it's uh, all about whether or not love will pull him out of the the life that he's always had and give him a new life, et cetera, et cetera, yada yada yada. Whatever. It's I guess it's meaningful to somebody to a certain segment. Um, I don't know. You know, it's again. It's like it's just there. It is. It's good deeds. Yeah, the, the thing with him is that he's not really get. He, he's 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 almost like Kevin Smith, where he's not getting any better. Really, as a writer or filmmaker, right. he's just become a factory. Totally. All right, we're going to kick into our Vox Box now, Mark. <gasps> what? Give it, give it to us. It's Vox Box. Gentlemen, Mario Mendez here from Glendale, California, with a question of the day concerning box office and clout. So say you're Disney. 2012, the greatest financial disaster of all time for you and John Carter. A few months later, potentially the biggest windfall you've ever had with the Avengers. Number one, do you think that the president that quit Disney jumped the gun, or was he ousted too soon, considering the windfall of the Avengers? Number two, with tax incentives and breaks and losses and what have you, is Disney going to make out great this year uh, in spite of John Carter and because of the Avengers? And last but not least, Joss Whedon. Is he finally going to get the respect of, of say, a Christopher Nolan where he gets to do at least one vanity project like Inception or something on his own because of the success of the Avengers? What are your thoughts? Thank you, Mario. Uh, first By off, the way, who was the, uh, there was a baby in the background crying. It was very cute. Uh, Mario, you uh, you need to attend to uh, whatever child that is. But the child uh, sounds adorable. Child sounds real cute. Uh, I, uh, Joss Whedon first. Let's uh, go in reverse order. I think uh, Joss Whedon will probably get to do some vanity projects. But remember, Nolan is first and foremost a director. Whedon is first and foremost a writer. So I, I don't know that anybody's really going to go, oh, my gosh, Joss Whedon, he's reinventing uh, mise-en-scene. But the he's, thing with Joss Whedon, too, is that, he, is that he's done vanity projects before. The thing has. is that his vanity projects are all low budget. And they blow. Like a Dr. Horrible sing-along and even Cabin in the Woods. I mean, you know, with Inception, Nolan is saying – uh, to Warner Brothers, I did a great job with Batman. Give me $175 million so I can do Inception. Yeah, I don't know that Whedon is going to do that. People don't love Whedon's films because they're reinventing cinematic visuals they lo- or, or even narrative storytelling. They love him because he's kind of a fanboy Superman. Uh, is what he is. You know, he's the Comic Con hero. Nolan is is a little bit more aloof and he's British and you know all that stuff. And don't forget too, Whedon has made, has made one good film. Yeah, Nolan made and Whedon is a bunch he, of good films. And Whedon's a big time guy on TV more than anything. So yes. they're they're very different. I mean, you know, it'll it'll be an interesting trajectory, but I don't know that he's going to get the same kind of uh, free reign or that he even necessarily wants it. Uh, yeah, Disney will make out fine this year. I, I you know John Carter is a, was a big bust. Avengers is more than going to cover it for them. But the thing about Disney is that that the, as a company, you know, they're always covering their bases. I. I you know, who knows how some of these other films are going to do. Well, the thing is that if you look at Disney's slate for the rest of the year, they have Brave yeah. coming up, which is, is okay. It's for The first half hour, Brave is pretty wonderful. Yeah. But then the, the, the hour after that, it goes in directions that could not be less interesting. Uh, they have Frank and Weenie coming up, which is another Tim Burton thing. They are 
re-releasing a couple of their classic animated films. Monster, well, I don't know if it's classic, but Monsters Inc. Three Monsters Inc. is actually in January 2013. Um, their big summer thing is this Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what that is. Uh, look, Disney, Disney is such a diversified company that one big loss is not going to uh, sink the whole ship. I, I'm not so sure that there isn't going to be a big executive shakeup at the studio, but remember, they got the theme parks and the merchandising and all that other stuff, and they always make out fine. Um, which dovetails into the other thing. Why uh, was, was uh, what's-his-face fired too soon? Um, he wasn't fired soon enough. I don't think he was fired soon enough. Um, Rich Ross was really on the bubble for quite a while, and nobody thought he was really up to the task. He was not a good fit. He came from TV. Not not a good fit by any means. But here's the thing. He he can't take credit for the Avengers. He has to take the blame for John Carter. Even though John Carter was greenlit when Dick Cook was still there, and Dick Cook was the one who approved the 200-and-some million-dollar budget for it, it was Rich Ross who had to sort of oversee the thing. And he could have pulled the plug. And he could have changed any of the elements, but he continued to sort of ride that pony out, and it's, it winds up being his fault. The Avengers is a Marvel film, and he really doesn't have any control over that. The Pixar stuff and the Marvel stuff is all kind of autonomous. They don't do it under the auspices of, of whoever runs the studio. So, uh, you know... What I find funny is that Lone Ranger... Where they finally said Th- that that could honestly, if that winds up being as, but that thing is so it is. over budget. It's, no, it, but Disney didn't green light it until they slashed the budget. Then they and, slashed and now the it's budget. Going now over it's budget. over budget again. It's ridiculous. That literally could be the uh, the thing that uh, sinks Iger. So we'll see. Two hundred and fifty million dollars for a movie ab- ab- about a guy on a horse. I mean, how does that and and uh, Johnny Depp is an engine who has a bird on his head. Uh, it's, it's, it's destined to be. It. I mean, that movie will have to make three quarters of a billion dollars to break even. To break even, it's a, a guy on his horse. It's incredible. Stop that. I the know. only thing is that is is if it's so fantastical, there's all these uh, peyote inspired visions that are just amazing to look at. I, Mark, even that, who cares? We've run out of time. It's Boxbox. It, we've run it's out of time. We, Boxbox. We, we can't get to our listener mail. We got to push listener mail off to next week. Uh, we got a whole bunch of other stuff we're going to get to. Old movies, uh, listener mail. We'll bring it all back in next week. For now, uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll uh, you know enjoy the weekend. And wait, so. just say goodbye to the folks. Goodbye to the folks. Exactly.